Hello, friends. We're back. It's Hit Factory. My name is Aaron. My name's Carly. And uh, it's our pleasure to welcome a very special guest today. Uh, one of the hosts of Chapo Trap House, Matt Chrisman, is here with us. Matt, thank you so very much for, for joining us and hanging out with us today. Yes, thank you for having me. And today we are talking about uh, a movie that you recommended to us, Matt. Uh, it's Michael Ritchie's 1992 film, Digstown, with James Woods, Bruce Dern, Louis Gossett Jr., The Works. Uh, and before we get too far, I am interested, why Digstown? What does Digstown mean to you? Uh, what's its relevance in your world? I just saw it at an impressionable age. We all have those movies that you mm-hmm. that hit you at the right time and in the right place and are just very memorable. Uh, and I remember watching it in my room alone at night, watching Digstown, and, and uh, I was like, like maybe not even a teenager yet. And uh, I was just... I was riveted first and foremost by uh, James Woods, who I think by that point I already uh, really liked, and and this helped solidify my view of him as like my, one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I love a good con artist movie, and then it has uh, the twi- little twist at the end. I remember just laughing my ass off. I just felt <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they did that. That's so cool!" Laughing. Uh, and then I, yeah, I just carried that around. Like, you know, it's a good movie that digs town. So whenever I heard someone talking about it, I would think, I remember distinctly remember watching William H. Macy on politically incorrect, which was Bill Maher's show that he had on ABC before yes. he yeah. went to HBO. Yes. And there, and he just out of the blue said, Hey, digs town. That's a great movie. And I was like, <laughs> yes. Thank you. William H. Macy. Thank you for recognizing that. <laughs> He's he's very primed to believe that too with his work uh, as uh, a stable member of uh, David Mamet's cohort too. So he knows quite a bit about the con artist. That's true. Yeah, yeah. This film is it's an interesting film tonally. It does have that con man grifter kind of quality to it, but at its heart too, it's also a sports movie. Uh, it's centered around a, a boxing match or several boxing matches, uh, ten of them in twenty four hours, in fact, uh, and. Its setting is distinct as well. It's got kind of this sweaty, southern, gothic kind of quality to all of it. It's a very damp yeah, yeah. movie. Oh, incredibly <laughs> damp. And, and that was that was part of a greater trend. The films of the early to mid-90s were noted for their wetness. Yes. <laughs> That's true. We don't see nearly enough of that. Of uh... No, everybody dried off. We've told, we're know. just a crispy husk at this point. It's wild. Like I saw this movie, uh, Reminiscence. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was it was an Amazon movie with uh, Hugh Jackman. Uh, oh about, yes, I forgot I had seen like that. A, yes, it's like a neo noir uh, sci fi movie about like near future Miami after you know it's been flooded, but yes. people still live there in like canals and stuff, and they only go out at night. Because like this is the global warming future, and it's all hot. And but people were wearing like jackets. No <laughs> one really was sweating at all. Yeah, I feel like, like Hugh I, Jackman was in like a crisp suit the whole yes! time. Yes, <laughs> no, no, nothing is wilted. There's no sweat stains on the clothing. They should look like they're in uh, a Time to Kill or JFK. Yes, yes. But it's completely. like that. That sensibility is gone. I don't know. It might have to do with. There's probably some reason related to money at the end of the day. It costs too much to have people be wet in movies. 
<laughs> yeah. So now we've gotten rid of wetness, even though it adds such a, palp- a palpable uh, uh, atmospheric element. That, yeah. And I do feel like modern movies, like a lot of times, you're just not feeling it emotionally because nobody's sweating. How can yeah. they really care? How can there really be stakes here if nobody is fucking sweating? <laughs> All the humanity has been sweated out of us. Yeah. And we're just, we're just we're totally husks. dry pieces of paper. Yeah. We are. We're husks. I agree. Yep. They squeeze the juice out of us. It's 9-11, <laughs> as always. Was the inflection point of the yep. juice squeezing. Yep. yep. Uh, well, this film, you know, is is a very late period. One of the last works of the great Michael Ritchie, who's sort of a, an exquisite journeyman and really, I think, one of the the great kind of cinematic surveyors of competition, you know, getting his start in the late 60s, early 70s with things like Downhill Racer, Bad News Bears in here as well. The Candidate. The Candidate, which is another competition kind of film. Smile as well, which is a beauty pageant. Um, and this feels very in line with that kind of work, uh, but sort of a kind of an outlier. It seems to be kind of combining his competition movies from the 70s with his more kind of straightforward comedies that he would do later in the 80s as well, like uh, Fletch, I guess, being his most famous one. Yes, yes. He did both Fletch and Fletch Liz, but then he was, uh, you want to talk uh, outliers, uh, I believe his last or second to last movie was Cops and Robertsons, which is uh, a... What? Movie about uh, a cop played by, I think, Jack Palance. Oh, boy. Who has to move wow. in with Chevy Chase to spy on their neighbor. And uh, it's it's something. <laughs> I mean, anything with Jack Palance I'm in. Is that like mid-90s, late-90s? When was yeah, that? Yeah, it's mid-90s. It's, it's, it was shortly after Digstown. It's, it's shortly before Richie died, RIP. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not... It's not very good, I can say that. <laughs> but like an artifact worth watching nonetheless in yeah, terms of yeah, like absolutely. his his uh I mean if you want to be a completist, you're sort of you're you are required to watch on Tubi uh to Cops and Robertsons. <laughs> yeah. Noted. Writing it down. There's also and I forget the the full name of it, but the cheerleader murdering mom yes. with Holly Hunter. Oh that's yes, like, that's an HBO com- movie, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And HBO doesn't have it. You can't find it anywhere. What the hell? Yeah, it's shameful. The commissar is vanishing every goddamn day. Our culture is dying. Mm-hmm. I uh, mean, as evidenced <laughs> by how dry we all are. I think we're yes. there. But in terms of the this film, in terms of Digstown, you know, we've got we've got all these characters, Matt. Uh, you know, we start with James Woods. I think you're you're correct in saying uh, a bravura James Woods performance really like one of his best it's it's top tier he's so good at these kind of like sleazebag characters but they give him kind of a a nice a little a little tinge of of goodness a heart of gold kind of he's definitely the softiest of the james woods uh protagonist characters in movies because yeah his whole thing was playing anti-heroic kind of uh scumbags who you nevertheless rooted for and were compelled by and that is why i think he's such a great actor because on the page, his characters are generally repellent. Yes. Uh, and he is also, he embodies uh, very repellent characteristics. Uh, but there's also like, I don't know, there's a conviction behind it, I think. Like he's, he's the emotion feels so real that you uh, you recognize him as like a real person and you're willing to 
you're willing to extend benefit of the doubt to like his motivations. And in this one, yeah, I mean, this is a more studio-y comedy. So, you know, they, they sand off most of the real terrifying uh, James Woods edges, but he's still able to, you know, be a, a loud mouth, smart Alec who, uh, who's constantly just trying to rip people off. I love his wardrobe in this film mm-hmm. where he's like always in like linen suits and like, a colorful, like, printed silk shirt. He's adequately costumed for a wet, sweaty environment. Yeah, he's, he looks so comfortable. He's mm-hmm. so comfortable. He's easy breezy. He's in those, like, sockless suede loafers. And yes. I think one of them is actually, like, like alligator skin. Like, it's some sort of reptile skin. <laughs> I was I was just fascinated by his wardrobe. They only make one remark about, but this is evidence of the fact that we're, like, at least acknowledging perspiration in this film. Like, they made one remark about his socklessness when he's, like, bandaging his foot at one point, presumably yes. because he's been, like, walking around Georgia, like, in these, in these suede loafers sockless. We don't see yeah. that kind of thing in movies very often. He's, no. like, he's soaking his feet and, like, bandaging his heels because he's obviously got blisters. From I his love loafers. it. <laughs> yeah, he, he, that, is, that is how you cinematically dis, uh, uh, explain and depict grind set. Yes, This guy, it's like he's willing to go out there and look like a douche. Like Bruce Stern makes fun of him for not having socks. He's like, I'd I'd be able to afford myself a pair of socks. And then, yeah, he's getting (laughs) blisters all so that he can set up the con. Yeah, he's owning it. Yeah. Yeah. They also kind of weirdly posit him as a sex symbol in this movie. I I can't think of any other of his movies that like, sure, he's, you know, kind of he's banging Debbie Harry in Videodrome. But even in that, he's sort of more repulsive, you know. I, I don't know that I can think of another role of his in which he has this kind of, uh, I don't know, raw animal magnetism and, and would bag someone like a Heather Graham. Well, that's the weird thing about the Heather Graham part of this. So she is his uh, age inappropriate kind of quasi love interest. Right. Who uh, is plays the sister of his uh, cellmate in prison who is helping, who is helping him set up the whole Digstown scam. And who he moves in with her boarding house once he gets to the town, uh, and they have this flirty relationship. But then she disappears halfway through the movie, and she never comes back. They never yeah. kiss. There's never like a sense that they're getting together. He's just like lightly kind of hitting on her, and she's not ter- she's not saying that she's not into it. But they never get past that. It's very interesting. She only comes back at the very end. There's like one errant shot of her in that like farting sequence when they're <laughs> yes, showing like in the audience. all the reactions of the audience and everyone's like cartoonishly waving their hands in front of their faces. And she's yeah. like laughing to someone. And I'm like, Oh, there you are. Yeah. You're back. Yeah. That was it. She showed up. She watched the guy shit his pants and then she went home. <laughs> she bounced. It's like, I'm out. I don't need to see who wins this thing. Right. No, I don't need I to see if my farts. friend James Woods is going to get murdered by the mafia or not. <laughs> Oh, my God. I just came for the fart shitting and the farting. I'm done now. And now I'm done. Yeah. What we all, why we all come to boxing matches. That part just totally. <laughs> that was like the thing I, I really appreciate about this movie, Matt, is like how like it's kind of wacky, but yes. it also oh, yeah. has like some dark shit. And I love that Richie is kind of like putting it all there in front of you and like you know, there's one moment when like we see a person like 
with a noose around their neck. And then the next moment there's like a jangly piano and there's like, (laughs) you know, people scooting down a hallway. Like it's, it tonally was, it just stood apart from kind of the rest of the films of the time. And I just, I appreciate it for that. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the, the plot of the film is this guy, he finds out about this town in Georgia where this one dude, uh, rigged a, a boxing match like 30 years ago and then was able to buy up the whole town because they had all bet on their hometown hero. The town was named after or his family named after it or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he loses, uh, but he, but this criminal, this bad guy, uh, uh, Bruce Dern, he bought up the whole town. And so he's like a, he's, he's the ultimate beautiful boater. He's this, uh, ur, <laughs> like feudal, neo-feudal landlord for this town in like the declining, uh, South. And, uh, he goes there to, to scam him, uh, out of his money. But the whole time there's a current running through of, you know, showing you exactly how ruthless he was and how, uh, how much power he had uh, over this town. And uh, that's where I think, yeah, you, the, the sweaty Southern Gothic thing comes in because like they don't really get explicit uh, about, you know, race issues or anything like that. But there is uh, a lot of visual reference. There's a, there's a concerted effort to try to remind you sort of archetypically exactly where you are and who you're dealing with. Yeah. And in the language too, there's a lot of, references to um Roy the box the sort of prize boxer of James Woods character who he has a relationship with they call him boy all the time um yes. so there's like these you know visual references and and in the language a lot too they're reminding us where we are mm-hmm. yeah they also get they also get in one uh, racial invective in there too and that person is summarily punished for it but it but it is there you know like there is yeah. that kind of uh atmosphere and texture to it where we get a sense of what's going on there without it ever being explicitly said as you as you mentioned matt yeah, yeah it's not a movie about like race capital right. r yeah that's why you got to keep it light the rest of the time mm-hmm. with, the, with the with the fun uh the fun hijinks and that's like hijinks hijinks uh, oh yeah, there's the guy whose brain got uh, turned into soup by <laughs> yes uh, by being uh, doped up during a match, and then oh yeah, here's this guy being uh, being lynched <laughs> and then having it covered up by the police, uh, and then uh, the, somebody farts a lot and shits yes. his pants on, and it's like <laughs> they're giving you the whole uh, wide palette of human emotions. You know the difference between a hustler and a good con man. Hustler has to get out of town as quick as he can. But a good con man, he doesn't have to leave until he wants to. Hi. Evening. Two things we never joke about here in Digstown, Mr. Kane. Our boxing and our betting. I never heard of no honey Roy Palmer. Could take on any ten of you in a day. Nobody can take ten men. Any ten, any day. I'd bet a thousand on it. But would you bet two thousand bucks on it? I got $10,000 against your thousand. How's about your $100,000 against my 10,000? You're not serious. <laughs> Roy's in, right? I mean, I haven't asked him yet. I know you're here to try and piss me on something, but I'm off the con, man. I'm out complete, forever. Huh? All right. Oh. What do you mean, all right? I mean, if you're not interested, you're not interested. Pick me up at eight. How old is this boy? 
48. 10 men in 24 hours? He ain't gonna last 10 seconds. Now, you fighters, you do exactly what I say, you make $1,000. Emily, I need your help. Kind of information that can get you killed. Dear Lord, give us the strength to tear this man from limb to limb. He's faster, he's younger than you are. He hasn't fought 22 rounds today, but you remember this. You are black. What the hell is that supposed to mean? I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm trying to inspire you. You know, it's, it's a roots kind of thing. Hmm. You seem awful mad. Did you tell him he was black? It's, it's funny that you bring up a time to kill, because I was actually thinking about a time to kill in relationship yes, to yes. this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar to those. Because it's, visuals, well, so. it's similar, but it's different, right? Because in that A Time to Kill is this sort of like perfect, like 90s liberalism, you know, sort of narrative of like, oh, we're acknowledging racism, but there's like this white savior and like, it's an easy, it goes down easy, right? And it has that sort of dramatic heft. And yeah. I like that, Richie is is like much more garish about it and he's also sort of like as you said like he's throwing in the slapstick right next to a literal lynching and he's kind of just like yeah this is fucking life guys like yeah. I don't know what to tell you I'm not going to give you like you know Amistad or whatever like <laughs> right. I'm I'm going to give you sort of like a a messy uncomfortable movie that has the full expanse as you said of human emotion and i just i so appreciate that in contrast to the rest of the films like i was thinking of glory and uh you know a color purple like all these films that were coming out in the early 90s that were like oh we're reckoning with white guilt but we want to sort of anthologize it so that we can be like okay check that box we're good we're done yeah. Yeah. Moving on. And, you know, a lot of this uh, texture, a lot of this nuance and kind of like villainy is uh, embodied in in Gion, right? In, in the Bruce Dern character. Mm-hmm. Matt, where does this rank in, in your uh, Bruce Dern performances? I don't know that I've ever seen him quite like this. And he seems to be having a lot of fun chewing off this, this yeah. really, really vicious evil guy. He's pr- honestly, this is like maybe second to uh, the Burbs in terms mm-hmm. of uh, Bruce Stern performances, which is uh, around the same time. I think that was in, in 90 or 91. So yeah, uh, he was really, he was really, he was really bringing it in that era. And yeah, these are two of probably my favorites, that one and, and the Burbs. Mm-hmm. If anyone hasn't seen the Burbs, highly recommend. Great movie. Fantastic film. Uh, but I think, you know, my favorite of, of all the performances in this, uh, I mean, next to James Woods is Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, yes. As the boxer, Honey Roy Palmer. Um, he gets so many of the best one liners. He's just got like such a great kind of energy and presence throughout. He's he's fantastic in this movie. 
yeah, he's so good that it helps you forget the, the uh, premise here, which is that the scam, the con that James Woods and, and Oliver Platt and Liz Gossett Jr. are running on this town is that they bet that their uh, boxer, who is Liz Gossett Jr., who is like an actual, had been an actual professional boxer, uh, can uh, fight and defeat 10 men from the town within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And they, of course, are doing you know, shenanigans behind uh, the scenes to ensure that he wins, like bribing guys that they could bribe, giving guys uh, X-lax so they shit their pants uh, in the, the ring, well, uh, <laughs> uh, getting any advantage they can. But it still involves them having this guy have to fight, you know, 10 rounds of boxing in 24 hours. And he is an old man. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he looks old as shit in this movie. When you first see him, he's, <laughs> yes. when they first introduce him, he's like teaching kids at a, at a gym and he's got the full sides, the full wraparound, like, uh, like Ed Harris bald, balding pattern and just looks ancient. <laughs> and he does not look that much younger in the boxing scenes. Right. Uh, and like, there's a scene towards the end of the, where he's got to fight like the one boxer who had ever defeated him back when he'd been, been a professional. And he looked mm-hmm. like, you know, this, he could have been in a ring right now, this big yoke dude. And then he just looks like he's pummeling a senior citizen. But then, of course, he's <laughs> able to, spoiler alert, you know, summon the final reserves and knock him out. Uh, it would be a little more, it would all be more absurd if he wasn't so convincing in it. He is so, so good. And I loved to the way that he sort of balances James Wood's characters who's what is his name Gabe Gabriel Kane Gabriel Kane. Gabriel Kane that's a very early 90s character name right there yeah. it really is <laughs> I really appreciated the way that um that honey Roy Palmer that Roy balances Gabe Kane's sort of like you know he's a smooth talker and he's he's a smart aleck and all of that stuff and and uh I don't want to say that Roy is has more pathos because I think they both do in their own way. But uh, but Roy is um, is just like one of those characters that feels real, like he felt like a real human being instead of, you know, sort of a cartoon or like a a mythic mythic man. Like I appreciated that he was like kind of old and has like his grudges, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's uh, it's a. vulnerability but also uh the same that same like sense of uh like reality makes his uh you know determination which you have to sell to get him to realistically beat these guys yes uh, that makes it actually uh, come across yeah i mean they give him a very archetypal like underdog sports movie story and and he comes in kind of downtrodden you know a little bit uh out of his prime, uh, he he goes and meets uh, Diggs, George Makem Diggs, who's now essentially a vegetable um, because he was given amyl nitrate in his nasal spray by Bruce Dern's character. Um, so he has this sense of, you know, what he's up against and what he's facing in terms of this viciousness. And then throughout every single kind of step through those rounds, all the way up to when uh, the other boxer is is killed and, and, you know, they make it look like a suicide and it's covered up by the police. They just keep injecting him with one more little like reserve of 
emotional power and like, yeah, right. to like get through all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at every moment he's like, you can see the thing that is actually pushing him beyond what would otherwise be a physical limitation. Yeah. Right. And it uh, all climaxes in one of my favorite moments in the movie, a slow motion shot uh, that that references a, a moment that is alluded to several times in the film in, in Moline, right? When, mm-hmm. when yes. he was still a prize fighter, uh, Gabriel Kane threw the towel in and called it because he was he was nervous. He got uh, he got cold feet about the whole situation and lost him a, a big sum of money. And in the one of the final bouts here against, you know, this this former champion, James Woods picks up the towel and in slow motion, hurls it into the ring. And Louis Gossett Jr. catches it and hurls it back yeah. at him. Uh, and then he, has, him and he, he the hits him in the face. And then he it, and then James Woods does this like slow motion. Like he just got shot. Like it's JFK. <laughs> yes. Like, no. <laughs> it's really good. It's a terrific yeah. moment. <laughs> that and the thumb, the thumbs down. Oh, yes. That's what got me as a kid. I was right. like crying <laughs> laughing at that. That was the funniest, the cleverest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Yes. Well, it, it will spoil it right up front here. That is the, the conclusion to all of this is uh, James Woods character. Uh, has fixed the final fight. He's he has uh, one of his fighters who's uh, an inmate at the prison. He's been released from. He's been in cahoots with him the entire time. He gives a little whistle. He adjusts his tie, and he gives a thumbs down, mimicking a move that Bruce Dern did earlier in the film. Yeah, uh, it's one to of the guys that he guy. had. He ran. Yeah, and and it's yes. amazing because like uh, it's great visual storytelling because the beginning of the movie you see the same guy just beating the shit out of. Uh, uh, James Woods' uh, uh, cellmate, and he mm-hmm. just sees like this terrifying boxing guy, and then he shows up with the warden who vowed to kill him, and and they're like, oh man, this guy's, and they, they like he lists off some stuff to to Honey Ray. He's like, uh, he's he, pain is a voodoo thing for him. I remember him. That's how it's <laughs> yes. like he gets off on it. He loves it. He loves it. It's like this is actually fun for me. Uh, and then you're like, oh my god, and then they start the fight. Uh, and then, yeah, he does the, the, the tie thing and then he thumbs down and then he just falls over and lets Honey Roy knock him out. And it's like, they don't, there's no dialogue to explain why that works. It's just, oh yeah, they were in prison together. He probably is, you know, in connection with him. He, he's, he, he knows him more than this idiot who brought him in thinking he was going to be the ringer. Yeah. And also the thing that's great about good con movies, which is like, between con men there's always a better one right who's Mm -hmm. like able to anticipate the moves of their antagonist and james woods is clearly that man like he's been one step ahead of of bruce stern's character the entire time right yeah he says to it after he goes never con a con man especially if he's better than you Mm -hmm. yep and that's also a great callback too to one of the early conversations that he and Oliver Platt have uh, shortly before he's released from prison. One of those great kind of quotable lines when he asks what the difference is between a hustler and a good con man. That a hustler uh, has to get out of town as fast as he can, but a good con man, he doesn't leave until he wants to. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that, by the end of the movie, he basically has owned the town. Yes. So he does, he does quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> And this is, I mean, that's an interesting point too, you know, there's, 
I mean, in a lot of Richie's movies, especially his films from the seventies, this, uh, you know, kind of heavy cynicism, uh, Matt, have you seen the candidate his Robert Redford film? I actually haven't. It's a great political a satire. Uh, yeah. it's, it's very strong and, and I think it's only gotten more prescient with time. Um, kind of, you know, investigates the hollowness at the core of anyone who would be willing to run for, Right, for yeah. a, a political position. I didn't know about that. Place. The famous last line after Rudford wins the election, and he just says, "What now?" Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's basically the graduate ending. Um, it's, it's very, very good. Uh, but that cynicism feels like it's kind of on display even here in like one of his more ostensible comedies. You know, like it. It's not the good guys win. It's very satisfying. It's fun to watch uh, Woods and and Gossett and and his crew beat Bruce Dern because he's awful. Uh, but the shift in power is relatively meaningless. Like it, it doesn't have any fundamental kind of transition, you know, like he's, he's maybe a, a better guy and like a nicer person than Bruce Dern, but he got there in the same way as, right, as Bruce yeah. Dern did. He, he cheats him out of a bunch of money. Yeah. At the end of the day, the only real, uh, 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 determiner of power is like yeah ruthlessness and and guile and uh, yeah. not, nothing else really fail, figures into it. Morality is totally a side side uh, conception. Yeah, the to get ahead to to sort of like you know gain back any sort of power, you have to just out cheat the cheaters. That's it. Yeah, yeah. There's no other alternative. Just be better at it than the bastards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And I think that that's something that maybe made me uh, cotton to it when I saw it as a kid is, you know, I was from, I was from a smaller town in uh, Wisconsin, you know, it's not the South, but I, I was able, I, I probably related in some way subconsciously to the, the town, sort of the way that I related to my town, which is like as a place that I felt alienated from, you know, it's institutions and stuff and, and, and the, and the, uh, the culture around me. Uh, and just seeing them all get owned by people who came in out of town and were uh, craftier than them. I guess yeah. I felt like a little Revenge of the Nerds thing. It's 10 ounces and 10 rounds you just forget about it. Nobody lives in town. No, Live 24 sorry, hours and forget your fights have always been five rounds with eight ounces. It's bullshit to hear eight ounce gloves and five round fights. It's 10 ounces and 10 rounds you just forget about it. just kiss my... Do I look that stupid or have you all been breathing too close to the gene pool again? I think I have. Digstown is Oliver County. A day is 24 hours. Tell you what, Mr. Kane, my son and his friend are trying desperately to regain their honor and his car. (laughs) And while I admire their courage as men, I... uh, worry a great deal about their safety. They're boys. Let them wear the headgear. Just those two. And you can have your 24-hour day. <laughs> but Digstown is in Oliver County. And any man residing in the county is a Digstown man. Tell you what, 
any man residing inside the county line today and can prove it is a Dickstown man. Why, Mr. Kane, <laughs> you certainly don't think it I'd stoop to bringing in a ringer, do you? I really enjoy those early moments with, with Oliver Platt's character when he's uh, hustling the guys at the bar. At the soggiest of all the boys. He is, oh man, he is the West Oliver Platt, Platt. Like he just stepped out of a lake in every scene. Literally soaking wet. <laughs> well, and, and part of the plot is that he has taken some pills that will uh, prevent him from getting drunk uh, so he can pretend to be intoxicated and, uh, and hustle these guys out of some money, out of their cars, etc., um and and yeah he's definitely showing it like he's he's so so very soggy um and and tripping all over himself and playfully kind of you know talking shit to these guys uh, but I, I i love these moments at the beginning where it's all set up and when you're first watching it you think maybe it's a much smaller sort of uh orchestrated event here maybe just them trying to hustle to get some good cash but you see it as part of the bigger picture later on yeah, I, I, part of me does think it would have been cool if it had if it had not become a sports movie halfway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that has its like the funniest parts for me all come from that. Like the guy shitting his pants can't beat that. Uh, but it certainly could have. They definitely could have made it into just a classic Conmar movie because yeah. they had the set. Yeah, the setup scenes are really fun, and yeah, Oliver Platt is is great. Just playing, 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 playing drunk. Very good. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we already mentioned it, but the, the romance with uh, Heather Graham and, and James Woods kind of gets cut off at the heels halfway through. I, I suspect, Matt, that this was a, a longer movie with more of that romance element to it at some point. Because the middle act gets a little bit jumbled. It jumps around quite a bit. It gets her kind of involved necessarily to pull Bruce Dern's bank records, but we don't see her again. And, and she doesn't really factor in elsewhere. I'm, I'm yeah, wondering she if just it drops out of the movie. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering if it, that was maybe some sort of response to people not being thrilled with their chemistry or, or seeing. Yeah, I, I can imagine gap. a scene uh, where I can imagine a, uh, like a focus group, maybe watching a version that ends with, uh, James Woods kissing Heather Graham and the audience going, ah, you know, that doesn't really, it's kind of like a Komodo dragon trying to make out with a beautiful lady. And right. Like, cause that's the thing about James Woods. He rarely gets the girl right. because like whatever charisma and ability he has, which is significant, it does not translate into traditional uh, romantic energy. So right. I could definitely imagine that they're like, yeah, what? He gets the girl. It's like the audience like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. Can I not uh, see that? <laughs> Can I unsee it, please, somehow? <laughs> Which is interesting because I, I feel like the uh, the general public in in real life saw it for a little bit. Didn't they date briefly for like a handful? Probably of he did. Like he did. She's she was young enough for him. Yes. Yeah. Because at that point he was like in his he was in his like forty three. She was twenty two. Yep. Uh, and I think he's been sticking to that age range 
ever since. Now that he he's has. in the 70s. Yeah. He definitely has. He's been I believe he, was, he's, he has a quote uh, when asked about this once. He said, uh, why would you want an old dog when you can get a puppy? <laughs> God. Ugh. This see this leads in this is this is a conversation we should have about James Wood because James Woods because I like and I think Matt Aaron signaled to me that this is something you all had like briefly discussed in the DMs but like it's it's so strange to watch the sort of like scandalized response to so many audience members of just like you know media con- the media consuming public for these actors that I guess they believe are supposed to be, you know, these like arbiters of moral rectitude. And then when they find out that they're not, it's like they feel deeply betrayed by it. Um, and yeah. that suddenly means that they are no longer a good actor, which we know is not the case. Right. Like it's true. Yeah. I mean, like uh, he's obviously in his politics completely gone around the bend in the last uh, couple of decades. Right, uh, and a lot of people want to say, "Oh, you suck." No, he he didn't suck. He was good. Uh, he's a very good actor. Even and he was getting uh, is like stuff he's been in later, schlockier stuff. Like when he he plays basically himself in uh, the movie White House Down. If anyone has seen that, where like <laughs> oh he's God. trying to kill the right. Obama stand-in yes, president yeah. because he won't go to war with Iran. And it's like, yeah, this is just you, dude. Do you, do you, were you aware that the cameras were running during this? Did you think that this is like an especially uh, uh, like intensive paintball trip or something where you're all acting out characters? Right. And you're like, hey, I got an idea. What if I killed the black president for not kill- nuking Iran? Right. But he's still good. He's still compelling in it. And, uh, you know, maybe he's right that he has been blacklisted by Hollywood for having uh, right-wing political opinions. But I got to say, it's probably, it probably only made them worse. Because not getting work probably only made his opinions worse. Yes. I don't think yeah. it did oh, yeah. anybody any good uh, by not putting him in movies. It's also like such a, I mean, it's such a an arbitrary line, right? Because like everyone in Hollywood is is conservative to a certain extent, right? Like yeah, you have to be, to be there. Yeah. And it's, it's just, um, we talk about this a lot on the show because we talk about movies from the nineties and, you know, when you have films that are racially aware, but aren't necessarily concerned with being like politically correct, right. that that's obviously more transgressive and one could argue more progressive than mm-hmm. the stuff that we're getting now, which I think um, we all can agree is is incredibly myopic and like yeah. extremely retrogressive. Yeah, it's like when you're making when you have when you have to make subtext the text. Mm-hmm. Yes, because you're somehow like doing violence by not. Like I think there is this real sense of like, well, if we don't say this explicitly, uh, we're complicit. You know, <laughs> and yes. like, yeah. well, what? Oh, congratulations, you might feel better about yourself, but you've made stuff that is just unwatchable trek because the whole point of a movie is you're supposed to tease this stuff out yourself. Like you're not supposed to have it spit in your mouth like a baby bird. Yes. Yeah. What are you those? What, what's left for you to do other than be like, yes, those are, those are correct opinions to have. Yes. And I'm yeah. a good person for absorbing them. Yep. 
yeah. a thousand percent. I mean, it's the Twitter mentality, right? Like all it's there yeah. to do is just like like and and retweet it because you agree yeah. with it. Yeah, I haven't seen the new Candyman. I've heard that that is really, really like monstrously bad on that level. I'm kind of yes. when it's free somewhere. I'm going to watch that one. Yeah, it's awful. I have heard similar things about it. And, you know, like, I mean, this extends obviously to what we're talking about with with James Woods um, in terms of, you know, now consumption and and particular opinions on media and art and the people who participate in it is the replacement for politics. Right. To some extent. And I I, I caught some heat last week when uh, John Voight was announced in the new Coppola movie. And just simply by saying, I think he's a good actor, I'm excited to see him work with a, a good filmmaker again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> remarkable how many people uh, objected to that seemingly anodyne claim. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, they, need, they can't see anything that like reminds them of any... of uh, it, it, It's like they, it has to be a seamless garment of virtue. Yes. Like everyone involved has to. I see them and I think of how good they are in real life. Yep. Everything they say has to reflect uh, virtues that I have. Uh, if anything is uh, what I consider uh, bad, it has to be immediately uh, noted within the text as bad and ideally punished yes. by, by the gods of, of, of the filmmakers. Uh, and anything less is just, it, it, it causes this, this anxiety, this sense of like, oh no, I... I don't know. It feels like a germ theory thing. They feel like they're going to catch mm. something from like looking at John Voight or more of it. Or it's just the, when they look at John Voight, they think about how bad things are and how bad. And then it yes. makes them feel sad and they don't want to have that. feeling. Yeah. yeah. And there's no like. The, the, the consuming of like morally sound ideas has become like a proxy for like, I don't know, political action or like some sort of like revolutionary agency. Right. Like we can go and and watch a movie and like agree with the things that don't look up is telling us. And then like we've, we've done politics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, precisely. (laughs) It's like that's not what that's for, you know. This this stuff is is it's entertainment, and if you want to be political, you have to actually do something to, you know, create that identity in yourself. You can't just pawn it off on others to do something that you can then passively observe. Yeah, and like watching movies and talking about the movies that you like has become like signifiers of constructing this like public identity which is why like people are so invested in things being you know good and right Mm -hmm. and being like containing good and right people right because if you watch a thing and say you like it you're saying like i'm this type of person right i'm a captain i'm a captain marvel person or whatever right right Instead yes, of I watched yeah. this movie that challenged me and made me think, and I was uncomfortable, and the yeah, end, the, yeah, right? Like, yeah, yeah, precisely. The, the 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 thing that's happening is just a purely uh, didactic experience because part of the uh, part of this like uh, garment of virtues is that pure pleasure seeking, the kind of hedonic enjoyment that going to a movie is, is like a representative of, is not good. 
It's, yes. it's immoral to do that. When things are so bad, <laughs> just watching a movie to have a good time is immoral. It's wasteful. Yes. Yeah. And so it has to be nutrient rich. Mm-hmm. It has to have the, the good values. And, you know, you can try to convince yourself. And I think a lot of people do think at some level this way that like, well, it's not just about me ref- telling everyone I'm a good person by having absorbed this thing. Uh, it's that, you know, there's a propaganda war going out there and like these good values being uh, embodied in this way is doing the work of like, you know, changing minds. But in reality, it, is, it can't be doing that because it's in order to be as, as you know, blatant as is necessary for these people to accept it. Uh, it has to alienate anybody who is there to enjoy something aesthetically, which means that your, uh, you know, your hypothetical, uh, up for grabs, you know, unpoliticized person is not going to watch that and get uh, converted to your cause. They're going to be uh, probably bored and annoyed and mm-hmm. insulted. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, there's the people who hate this stuff on principle, who you're not going to get to because their entire. Uh, uh, performance of consumption is based on watching stuff that you hate and hating the stuff you like. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm wondering Matt, what you think, you know, if that is, is a, a purely like modern uh, impulse or if that was part of sort of the shifting of the tides here at the beginning of the nineties. And as we got into the decade and, and why, some of this movie maybe didn't find purchase with a mass audience because this was a big flop. And it was, it bombed. Yeah. Uh, I remember James Woods complained about it a lot. He said that, and his, he was, he, he uh, blamed the studio and specifically the ad campaign. I remember him ranting mm. about how much he hated the poster. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was just a white, yeah, white, white background. And then it's just, uh, James Woods and Liz Gus just standing next to each other. And it says above them, I think it said something like, the hustle, the muscle, the scam. And James Woods is like, what the fuck is this? It doesn't look like anything. This sucks. <laughs> it looked like blank check or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it did have a very kind of cartoonish quality to it. I also, I watched the trailer for this too, uh, ahead of the recording. And, uh, and, and before I even watched the film, and I could not discern whatsoever what kind of movie it was going to be or, or what it was about at all. I got the sense that there's some boxing in it and uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about hustlers and and con artists, but the actual meat the of setup. the trailer reveals nothing whatsoever about what this could possibly be about. It was very right, confusing. Yeah. yeah. So for one reason or another, I mean maybe because, you know, James Woods appeal is relatively limited. I mean, I, he probably didn't want to think that that had anything to do with it, but you know, he, his, he doesn't have that many uh, 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 starring roles. Like, And most of those are like lower budget genre movies. This was like, you know, supposed to be a big four quadrant, you know, uh, comedy in the, in the in the sports comedy in the style that was very popular at that time. Uh, and he just wasn't a terribly uh, uh, audience friendly choice maybe for mm-hmm. uh for, for for performer and the fact that it failed like maybe he would have been our president instead of donald trump if, if digs down had been a huge success yeah <laughs> it would have buoyed him into political power yeah <laughs> i i'm curious if there's more to it than just that about the this film being if this was a in the universe that this is a massive hit because you did you mentioned this to me already that you think that james woods may have had the potential to go on to be a political figure 
Right. Yeah. It's like there's another universe where it was John Wayne and not Ronald Reagan who became mm-hmm. president out of like that reactionary turn. And, you know, we could very well have had Trumpism with a Woodsian face if he had yep. just uh, not not fallen off of the uh, map as precipitously as he had. Because, you know, uh, Trump had The Apprentice. And around that same sh- time, uh, there was a network show that James Woods had called Shark. What? Mm-hmm. Shark. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, where he plays a a shyster, where he plays a sleazy lawyer. Can you believe it? Can you believe he played a sleazy character? <laughs> Wild. Who, you know, d- d- uh, going behind and, and cutting throats for his clients. I never watched an episode, but it didn't last long. We also have to remember, too, that James Woods played, like, literal Hades in Hercules. Yes, he did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and he did a fantastic job. Like, oh, yeah, wonderful that's, performance. That's one of my favorite performances of his. Yeah. yeah. But I think it it's, I mean, it speaks to this idea of him sort of carrying this, uh, this, I don't know, just like embracing this sort of like evil impulses uh, that we as humans have. I also think that makes him, that's part of the reason he's like so fun to watch. And yeah so charismatic and why he's like potentially more challenging to audiences um because he isn't like bad but hot right right yeah exactly yeah he's bad but he's also like kind of ugly about it (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know yeah it's not sugar-coated you just gotta look no yeah he's just i mean he's kind of like a pockmarked kind of sleazy looking guy like he looks he looks the part of the things that he plays um And yeah, I mean, maybe that was part of it in terms of, you know, there's there's no mass appeal for someone who looks like him. You know, your your two, really three, I guess, leading performers here are James Woods, Louis Gossett Jr., who's aging, Bruce Dern, who's uh, an old man yeah. right now. Like, this is not a... Yeah, you're not going to get the not... teens in with this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You don't appeal to them. And, and I wonder, yeah. too, you know, like what I was kind of alluding to that this is a, a movie like after we watched it that I, I actually had like a, a little bit of anxiety about what to even talk about with it because it is kind of a a pure cinematic like entertainment there isn't there isn't a ton below the surface of it you know in in terms of analysis or or things to discuss maybe you know metatextually and 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 all of that but it's just fun you know it it, it, it kind of tries to uh escape that kind of pigeonholing and and need to be a movie about anything yeah that's yeah the kind of uh for a lot of reasons, this is the one the kind of movie they don't make anymore, uh, because it's filled with old people, and because yes. it doesn't yeah. have uh, doesn't have a caloric intake, and most importantly, the thing you need uh, if if you don't have uh, you know a, a social agenda that you can sell guilty studio execs with. Although who knows? I think that might be ending that era with the, with like when you watch Netflix just wholeheartedly axing all of their uh, their woke programming before it's even... They aborted yep. the anti-racist baby. I yep. know. They, uh, they got rid of it. They aborted it. <laughs> they aborted that anti-racist baby. Kind of messed up of them to do that. Uh, that, uh, But that, like, for a while, that was it. Uh, yeah, appealing to kids and then having a connection to a previous intellectual property. Yep. If you don't have that, you're not getting funding. So this movie literally couldn't, couldn't be made today uh, on that basis. Yeah, and I think, like... As I as I was sort of thinking about this film in the context of other movies in and around it, 
that feel similar but are also distinct like I I think to answer your question Aaron about like the turn of you know movies that have to say something or deliver some message like I do feel like in the 90s particularly with like the rise of sort of Clintonite liberalism and this idea of like you know politeness and protocol and like all of these other things that are are the ruling ideas of the time that like a movie like this one doesn't fit nicely into like any of those boxes or those sort of like moralized versions of you know stories we've always told that like we can feel good about watching this is just purely entertaining but also is violent and um and like a little bit garish and I think for that reason like is not was not the type of movie that people were interested in seeing at the time and certainly wouldn't be watched today no yeah it feels sort of like I mean you know uh Michael Ritchie made you know bad bad news bears and Mm -hmm. you know it it has that kind of 70s feeling Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's a, little, it's a little out of town. It's like it, it's it's kind of interesting that he made this movie, it bombed, and then two years later he made Cops and Robertsons, which is very <laughs> much a '90s comedy, like huge, hugely high concept, mm. uh, 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 slapsticky thing, uh, and yeah, that 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 sort of uh, grit grit infused but still breezy thing about low lives that that's. Uh, but that was right at the end of the run that you could get away with making those kind of movies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it feels very much out, kind of out of touch with with the type of movie that was probably becoming bankable in the 90s. It does feel very distinctly 70s. And, you know, one of the things I, I kind of mentioned already that uh, I want to touch on is, you know, I, I say this movie's not about anything, but one of the things that this movie does have going for it that I think is interesting. And a friend of our show, uh, Zach Vasquez, has written about this before and is actually a huge fan of this movie, maybe partly for this reason, but it is a movie that is some it's racially charged, it's racially aware, but it's yeah. not a message movie. It's yeah. not necessarily saying anything about it. It's simply showing people and showing relationships uh, at a racial level as they are or as they're observed in particular places. And like it's also if this is why there's it's so uh, the the neurotic need to make all the subtext text is so counterproductive because you could argue that a movie like this is more uh, you know effective at a, yes. a, like a propagandizing say like a young person who sees it because like who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? You know mm-hmm. the bad guy is this white, reactionary uh establishment and the good guys is this multiracial crew of uh of uh of rascals yes and like part of what makes the bad guys bad is the way that they uh you know treat uh black people in their town and and and, and everyone else who who owes money to them i feel like that's that is a concept we come back to a lot with movies in the 90s i was thinking specifically recently about the movie True Lies and how like post Trump there was all of this like relitigation of how like the scene with Jamie Lee Curtis doing a strip tease for Arnold Schwarzenegger's yes. character mm-hmm. was like very problematic and that the movie is like like incredibly bad because of it and like 
that to me is a, a more retrogressive view to say like a woman, you know, sort of using her sexuality in this way, like, because she's being agent for X, Y, and Z reasons that that is probably that any sort of like, you know, depiction of that is problematic. And, right. and I was thinking more broadly about that just being the case in general, where like these films that are acknowledging, you know, gender politics or sexism or racism, but not necessarily delivering a message to us about it are ultimately, as you say, like more effective at sort of being anti-establishment than something that is saying, this is how you're supposed to feel about this thing. And no, she can't wear underwear. I kind of wonder if, if some of this comes down to the fact that like the people now who, who make the conversation about mm -hmm. uh, entertainment and art and therefore form like an influential chorus in the voice of determining like what gets made, their formative period was this like post seventies uh, blockbuster, you know, uh, uh, pop culture film era when movies were like a big deal and people saw them all the time and, and saw them young, saw them before they probably should have in terms of mm -hmm. like subject matter. Mm -hmm. And that that those experience like created these like deep patterns so that when these we all grew up to start talking about movies, we start looking back at these movies that had like visceral relation, visceral emotional impacts on us that we maybe didn't fully understand at the time. Mm -hmm. And then teasing out, oh, look, look what the message, look what's actually going on here. And then that's what we talk about. Uh, but, you know, we were those experiences occurred in uh, for most of us in a pre-political moment of our lives yes. when like we were relatively, you know, if you were, if you're the type of middle-class person who makes up this chorus, you probably had a relatively stable childhood uh, where you weren't worried about where, what's going to happen in the next week or you had a kind of confidence in the future provided by your parents and the institutions surrounding you. Now though, we're all at, at, at wit's end as adults, like precarious, aware of precarity, no matter where we are economically, uh, therefore like neurotically fixated on politics as some sort of escape, as some sort of redemption of this anxiety, a way for us to feel like we're contributing uh, to mm. uh, you know, the, our own survival, which you know, the lack of that is what causes that anxiety is feeling like powerless. Like politics makes you feel like there's power. So we want that relationship to those movies in the movies yes. we have now. But doing that means to satisfy the adult neurotic political ego, not those, not that fresh baked bread of a brain you had when you were 12 or 14 and saw movies. <laughs> right. You want, you're imposing that on a uh, structure onto the films, which means that everything that was to be teased out now is by definition taken to the surface, rendering the whole thing completely artistically inert. So nobody yes. can have any kind of like relationship of discovery with it, like the one that people did in those previous films. I I couldn't agree more. We were talking recently about um, the movie Happiness, uh, mm. Todd Solondz's film, and about like, you know, it sort of presents us with all of these things that are uncomfortable and challenging and Todd is he's not saying like one thing or another about these people he is sort of commenting on uh you know misanthropic views and and trying to understand them perhaps but 
but it's a challenging movie and he leaves a lot for you to sort of discern yourself. Yeah. Um, and that just like doesn't happen anymore. Aside from the fact that they would never put, you know, pedophilia, literal like raping of a 10 year old boy mm -hmm. in a film today, because that would be seen as an endorsement. And, um, and you're right that it is this sort of like, it's a, it's a proxy for sort of like political power, some exercising of, you know, agency that we don't have anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it doesn't tell you how to feel about it, which is the, the, the challenging thing about it. And it's why I kind of shudder to think about this movie having some sort of like reevaluation or resurgence, you know, some relitigating like a lot of these movies do. I don't I don't know why that would happen. It seems like a, a movie that's primed to be avoided simply by uh, James Wood's presence here and and it just not being a, a particular. Someone will pick it up and talk movie. about the like, nooses. That's that's yeah. going to happen at some yeah. point. I mean, oh, yeah. And that's and that's what it'll pull out is is that imagery and like the fact that a, a black man is lynched in the movie, you know, um, the closest this movie ever gets to like explaining itself or kind of figuring out what side of, of the fence it's on. Like like I mentioned earlier, like Jim Caviezel uh, utters the N word and then is punished for it. He, he gets his ass kicked. He gets a nice yeah. gut shot for it. Um, and you're like, oh, that that's good. You know, he, he deserves that. Uh, but it, but it doesn't go any further than that. It doesn't tell you like, uh, here's why that's bad. Here's, here's why he deserved to get the punch. And, and here's what we've learned from this experience. Right. Yeah. And I think Richie's cynicism is evidence of the fact that like that, like moralizing that like moral veneer, like he actually pokes fun at, like I'm thinking specifically about the end of the film when Bruce Stern's character is confronted by the brother of the black boxer who he summarily lynched. Mm -hmm. um, and the comeuppance is that this brother punches him into a yeah, wall of popcorn. Yep. <laughs> it's <laughs> like it. totally cartoonish. He's like, I yep. murdered your brother and lynched <laughs> him. And the guy's <laughs> like, doop. <laughs> like, yep. and I, yeah, he doesn't I go to Richie's, jail. There's not some reckoning with it. There's yeah. no. None whatsoever. He just gets his yeah. ass kicked. And and I think Richie is like, yeah, like that's, it's the movies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, this guy's a real jerk. I want to see what's coming to him. Well, here it is. Boom. Satisfying. <laughs> the end. Yeah. You can't get more just like visually, kinetically satisfying. A, yes. A, a frail old asshole getting fucking decked. Yes. Into a wall of popcorn. I was yep. I lost my shit when that happened. It's it's incredibly <laughs> satisfying, and and it's preceded by that that terrific uh like one liner from Lewis Gossett, like all the ones he has in the movie, where he just says, "Brother, my hands hurt. Can you get yeah. this one for me?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, and all of this, you know, there's one more moment that I really like, and I think kind of sells the the larger ethos of this particular component of the movie and it's uh james wood's pep talk in the in the corner to lewis yes. jr <laughs> right before he goes out into the ring and he says you know he's he's uh stronger than you he's faster than you he's younger he hasn't fought 22 rounds today but you're black <laughs> <laughs> and lewis gossett jr says what the fuck does that mean what are you talking about <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, I don't know. I just thought it would it would motivate you. A roots thing, he says. It's a roots it's thing. A roots thing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's that's what Richie's doing 
for most of this movie, yes. I think, is like teeing up something that that gives uh, a moment of like import or or uh, gravity to a situation, and then just kind of yeah, just, just cuts it off, undercutting the, the hell out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an incredibly fun movie in that regard, uh, and transgressive <laughs> in that regard, right? Yeah, like, it's poking fun at a lot of. He's not this. doing the thing that that Glory is doing, or that you know, other films about race or whatever we're doing i i the more i think about this movie and the more we talk about it the more i appreciate it yeah absolutely we also didn't mention jim caviezel as another scorned right-wing actor oh yeah that's true yeah i I barely recognized him yeah such a baby he's a he's a major baby i I saw a post the other day someone mentioned and said you know like you know that jim caviezel's got to be an insane freak for him not to have had like the biggest career in Hollywood after how beautiful he is and the th- uh, the thin red line. Yeah, that, like true. something was amiss there from the get go. Yeah, <laughs> and we know now. Yeah, we do. He's he's a certified he's a Q. Cute guy he's, now. Yeah. <laughs> him, him, uh, and, uh, him and James Wood should like go to CPAC or something <laughs> together. I feel like they probably have. Maybe. Yeah, they might have. Matt, is there anything else that uh, that you had that that you observe about this movie, or anything else no, you want to talk I about? Most with of it? It, yeah, like just it's uh, watch it if you haven't seen it. Just glory in some some great atmosphere, some incredibly wet people, uh, <laughs> some career best turns by uh, absolute war horses like Gossett and Woods and Oliver Platt, Bruce Stern. My God, nowadays you're lucky to see one of these people. Like doing uh, uh, absolutely thankless work as like a yes. comic yeah. relief or a, an authority figure in a Marvel movie. Here they are all they're they're zipping and zapping together. Uh, it's great. Check it out. Wholeheartedly agree. Yes. Uh, couldn't couldn't agree more with that. Um, well, that'll uh, wrap it up for us here today. Uh, once again, Matt Chrisman, thank you so very much for coming on the show and hanging out with us for a little bit. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Please come back uh, anytime with with any James Woods movie that you you might want to talk about. Don't don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> I'll start thinking. There's definitely more that I could, uh, that I could pull up. Yeah, there's also Cops and Robertsons. So I'm absolutely I'm 1, yes. percent watching <laughs> that. I can't Ritchie believe theme. it exists. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, folks, we will leave you. Uh, as always, you can follow along with us at Hit Factory Pod. Uh, you can subscribe patreon.com slash hitfactorypod for bonus episodes. Shout out to our capitalist overlords. Uh, We call them Linda and Jesse K. And we'll catch you all the next time. Thanks, everyone.